He's a first-generation multimedia journalist. We're just uh, trying to work through some technical difficulties here. He's an advocate for local sports coverage in northeastern Wisconsin. They're going to be talking about this matchup on both sides of the Fox River for quite some time. He's five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing, and has hardly a trace of athletic ability. Keep in mind, I once scored three touchdowns in the first half of a junior varsity game. This is the Andrew Pekarik Podcast. Welcome in to another edition of the podcast. Thanks for joining me today, this morning, this afternoon, this evening. Whenever you're listening to the podcast, I thank you. That's the great thing about it. You can listen to it whenever you want at your leisure. Have a great show for you lined up here today. Can you believe it's already week four of the high school football season here in northeastern Wisconsin? Things are just flying by. We just had Labor Day. Where has the time gone by? Already a third of the regular season in the books. Going to discuss some uh, things I've noticed thus far with the year and preview week four, some of the bigger matchups coming up. Also share, um, I think as a humorous story, at least it wasn't for me at the time, but of my travels last Friday night along the lakeshore, so you want to stay tuned for that. But honestly, I know the real reason why you tuned into this very podcast here today. I'm not stupid, folks. I know you saw the guests line up, so I'll kind of take a step back here and get right to my guests. Ashwabanon legend, Ken Golomsky, better known as Coach G, just uh, one of the legends in this area. It doesn't get any better when it comes to high school coaches of any sport, I, I think, in the area and the state, in, in my opinion. He, uh, the man has done just that much um, for high school athletics in general. And you look at it, the career he had as the head coach of the Ashwaubenon football team, six state appearances, four gold balls coming back to Ashwaubenon on all those six trips to Camp Randall Stadium in Madison, just an outstanding a stint there and career and building that program and just not only locally becoming a household name but making that a statewide uh, recognized institution with Ashwaubenon football so it's standing time there and a member of the Wisconsin Football Coaches Association Hall of Fame and then this past spring getting a national honor from the National High School Athletic Coaches Association so uh, head coach Ken Golomsky um, the Ashwaubenon legend, just well-deserved honors that he has rolling in and, and discussing some things with him and catching up with him this week because this week before Ashwaubenon's game against Bayport at Gell's Field, he will be honored with a pregame ceremony and well-deserved as far as the number of alumni and, and people that, that he's come in contact with and, and helped touch their lives in some form or fashion. Um, just wanted to come out and celebrate this honor with him. So Friday night, um, besides being a big game in the Fox River Classic Conference, um, a great night just to, as far as celebrating the career of Coach Ken Golomsky. So really thankful that he took some time out this week to discuss a number of topics, his career, and also just current things going on with uh, the high school sports realm and high school football in particular because obviously he still has a pretty good pulse on it, an assistant coach at St. Norbert College. Um, this is his 10th year actually. So you go for the career he had as the Ashwaubenon 
high school football head coach, and now in his 10th year, really helping St. Norbert College with its football program do some great things, and obviously getting a chance to see a lot of high school football still because he's out there recruiting for, for St. Norbert, looking at the next crop of players to come into that outstanding Division three program. So nobody probably uh, more knowledgeable in the area about high school football than Coach G. So really thankful once again. He took some time and was very gracious in speaking with me. And the nice thing is I'll, I'll kind of tune myself out here and uh, the next portion, next segment of this podcast, um, it's pretty much the Coach G show. So sit back and enjoy our conversation. I know you've probably been uh, conjuring up a lot of memories with a lot of individuals this, this past week and looking forward to Friday night. But just what sticks out to you about the career you've had um, with high school athletics, kind of as many lives you've touched. Did you realize that 10 or so years ago when you stepped down as the head coach at Robinon that you had that big of an impact on the community and, and the greater uh, state when it comes to football? Well, I, I knew we had a successful run for a long period of time, and, and um, I, I knew I enjoyed it. I, I knew I, our kids got some residual effects out of it besides the fact of, uh, of, of winning and, and coming up with trophies and, and things of that nature. I, I think there's always a carryover in any extracurricular activity you engage in in high school that you can use in life and you can use in your occupation if you dig deep enough and, and, and find the same kind of qualities and discipline and skill sets that can transfer from one activity to another. So I, I didn't anticipate that, that kind of success when I got into it. I had a relatively um, um, average high school career, went in the Army, went to school on the GI Bill, um, uh, played at UW-Stevens Point, and uh, I was more Bob Euchre than I was uh, Mickey Mantle. So, um, But I, I always enjoyed athletics, I enjoyed sports, and I, and I wanted to coach. I had been mentored by some great coaches in high school and junior high and grade school, and they, they really made an impression upon me and, and helped straighten me out and helped uh, help me move one step further uh, as a, a boy into manhood, and I thought maybe I could pass along some things to the guys I work with. And, and like most teachers, you get in it to work with young people and, and have a positive effect and mentor them and and, and try to make a, a better situation for your class, for your individual students, for your ball players. So, you know, after the day was done teaching sociology and history, I just moved over and taught football. Uh, uh, and, and try to use the same principles and concepts and teaching methods. And, and and that's really what happened. And pretty soon, you know, your program gets developed and you start winning conferences and you get in the playoffs. And, you know, you, most coaches just want to get down to Madison once in their lifetime. And we were fortunate to get down there a number of times and, and bring some hardware home. And and uh, then and with the kids accepting the culture, you, you've got yourself a program uh, similar to what Kimberly has right now. And, and the Menominee over in the western part of the state, you know, and at one time Germantown and a number of schools had more than just a good football team from one year to another. There was a program that could sustain success over a period of time. So uh, once you got there, then you find ways to be a better coach and have a better organization, better better program, um, uh, develop a culture of winning and, and doing the best you can and getting support from the community and all kind of snowballs. So um, when I started out, I just wanted to try to be the best coach I can and have a decent ball club. And one, But once you get to that next level and, and you've been there and you've looked around and you have a blueprint for success, you want to maintain that and then the kids buy in and, and you're on your way. 
for you personally, when you got promoted to head coach in 1983, what was your realistic expectation just as a young coach at that level for like what you wanted to do or like how long you might even stay in that position because you just didn't know teaching wise or where life could have taken you next? Like looking back at it, like what was your honest assessment about just short-term or goals that you want to establish at that point because obviously it was much different back then the, the playoff system was was less than about 10 years old as far as that expanding into dif- different divisions over the years but just what about that particular position for you at that time just stuck out about what you want to do moving forward for just the next couple of years in the 80s at that point yeah well I, I thought I knew what I was doing but I really wasn't and I don't know if you ever are prepared, you know, to take over that. You know, you go from making suggestions and doing your little thing to now you're making decisions and running entire programs. So you, you have thoughts about things. You try to copy other programs, but it, it takes a while really to develop your own niche and, and really your identity as a coach and what you want the program to look like. I, when I first got in, I thought it was going to be all X's and O's and I was going to outcoach this guy and outcoach that guy. And it was a struggle those first couple of years, you know, and until we got a decent strength program going and then stepped into developing speed, a speed program, and, and talking about uh, more body rest, recovery, nutrition, drinking water, just some simple things that weren't that people take for granted now in most programs that, that wasn't in, in at that time. So I looked, you know, after struggling for a couple of years, I started to, I went back to my old high school coach and I said, I don't, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. This is happening. That's happening. So look, he said, why don't you trust your assistant coaches more? Why not? Why don't you think more about management? Think more about building a program. Uh, think more on developing a culture. And he said, your, your schematics and X's and O's are okay, but, but it's more than that. So I, I took some advice from my former coaches and started to think in that area a little bit. And, uh, I think that's when we started to build something. Uh, people, you know, everybody sits and watches a ball game and they all think they can coach, but it's much more than that. And then it got to the point where um, it was more about getting players ready to play and, and, and teaching them uh, the basic skills uh, as opposed to trying to outcoach everybody you face. And sometimes we were noted for having a junior high defense, and we were so simplistic, anybody knew what we were going to do. But we executed so well, and we eliminated our mistakes that we were pretty tough to beat, and we were successful with that formula over a long period of time. And one of the greater compliments I would get, some guys would come back and watch a ball game and say, hey, that's 26 power, he's going to run the toss, look out for the play action. Guys that had watched us over the years and played for us, they could walk right back in and jump in the system if they were physically capable of doing it. So I, I, I think that that developed um, not a dynasty, but kids were connected from year to year, and even when you graduate, still came back and watched the ball game. We had uh, parents and, and great support, the Booster Club and things like that. Even after their kids had, had moved on, they were still involved and they were still part of it. I always wanted to build a community type park because football in, in every sense is a, a collaborative game. You've got to have a nice coaching staff. You've got to have the kids. You've got to have in-season and off-season programs. You've got to have the support of your administration, your faculty, your staff, parents, the community itself. Uh, you know, you go to Ashwabana, the, uh, the beautiful field house, the brand new stadium, new lights, new scoreboard the turf, uh, 
it's, uh, you know, the culture was built and has maintained and been successful. And uh, it starts with one step, and, and you got to have some kind of vision, and then you got to have a plan, and you got to work your plan. Nine uh, Bay Conference titles, 14 WI playoff appearances, the four state titles, like I mentioned, and two state runner-up finishes. Like you said, extremely blessed and fortunate to be able to take six teams down to Madison, um, Camp Randall Stadium. I forget if it was the 2001 or I think it was 2005. I, I think the one of the biggest honors maybe as far as all the accolades you get when you have teams like that, individual and team base, was the Press Gazette. At that time, I think it was Mike Spofford maybe was in the preps position. He's now a writer for, for Packers.com. Gave the whole defense your year that as their player of the year. Usually it goes to like a skilled kid, the running back, a quarterback. maybe. It, but your yeah, whole I, defense, do you remember that? Or I think that yes, was 2005? I don't have that picture. That, that was very unusual to, to look at it that way. But our, I think our, we had a great defense coordinator, Dana Strain. I, I give all the credit to Will. He had been with us. For about oh four or five years, and uh, I and I had been a defense coordinator up until that time. We had pretty good defense, but I thought I'd turn it over to him. I knew he was going to be a head coach down the road. He is a head coach in Hastings, Minnesota now, and I, I I thought this would be a good experience. The kids loved him. He, he had a good football mind. He's a great coach, excellent math teacher, and I turned it over to him. And in one year, he got so much mileage out of kids, and he got them playing so hard and buying in. I think we pitched about five or six shutouts during the season, and then we shut out uh, Wanaki, I think, in the championship game. A lot of turnovers, and we weren't very big. We were small, but we could. We were athletic. We could run. Um, we had some quickness, and uh, we played well as a team. We tackled well. We got off of blocks. We ran to the football. So... Uh, I'd have to give credit to Coach Strain and, and the defense that year. And uh, obviously, we had Mike Taylor wound up at Wisconsin, an all Big Ten linebacker. And we had a number of other guys. You know, we had some guys that went on and played Division One ball. But I think the key sometimes to these programs that are successful over a period of time is that second tier of ball players, Andrew, that are pretty good or really good or, or you know, like that. You know, I had years where. Uh, I think the 2000 team, we had uh, four guys get Division II scholarships. Uh, but then we had another second level there, about a half a dozen of those guys went on to play D3. And the same thing happened in 01 and the same thing in, in uh, 2005. Uh, Mike, uh, Mike eventually, when he was a senior that year, and Jody Dallana, and we had one more young man, I forget his name, they all got D1 scholarships as seniors, but we had a ton that went on to play that, that next level. And, and we had guys that would fill in. And I, I always liked the platoon. Um, and so it kept up morale. He had 11 different starters on defense, 11 on offense. We tried to play as many kids as, as we could and get them out there and develop them. And it helped if we had injuries. It kept people fresh, kept the morale up. Everybody was contributing. Uh, I, I think that had something to do with our success, too. And it, that, that was still a time when a lot of guys went both ways and, you know, the old axiom was the coach didn't want to have his best ball player standing next to him in a tight position. But if you play a kid all the time and he practices all the time at one position, even though his uh, natural athletic ability might not be as good as somebody else's, his skill set develops to the point where he's confident, his techniques are great, his fundamentals are great. And all of a sudden you've got 11 kids that are specialists at everything they do. you got a great cornerback, 
a great safety, a great outside linebacker. Great, you know, these kids, they tap out and get the maximum ability because that's all they're doing in practice is working on that skill set for a linebacker or defensive end or defensive lineman. So I, I think that was part of our success, too. Psychologically, you played more kids. They were on the field. They were contributing. They took responsibility for their positions, and they had good skill sets. And But that's not to say. We did have some good athletes. We had Aaron Stecker, who wound up with an 11-year career in the NFL. We had a number of Division One scholarship kids. So uh, we had those kids, but I, I'd like to think that we developed that, that second tier of pretty good kids or darn good kids that complemented those kids that, that got scholarship money. And obviously through the years, there's just so many kids in A-time to this day, I'm sure you see them or have contact, Facebook, text messages, whatever, just staying in touch or just little things like that. And once you see a name, you can probably remember and still envision them in their helmet back in high school or just being a young lad back in the day. So not to name like Pacific players, you mentioned some of the guys like Aaron Stecker they've had that obviously the success of the college, the NFL level, but just is there any general little stories from any of the years or just stuff that assistant coaches or some of your kids through the years became a tradition or just some of the lighter moments that when you kind of have that culture, it's a family atmosphere in the fall, like you just love coming to practice every day. Is there any little fun corks or little stories that come to mind when you just kind of think of some of the teams through the years or just stuff that kids carried on through through generation and generation that you had or what comes to mind with some of the lighter moments that just stuff you don't necessarily think of off the top of your head with championships and everything else but just some of those memories that you hold near and dear to your heart yeah but you know i always wanted to build you know, I, I did not want our kids to be motivated by a yelling, screaming coach or a guy who had a constant psychology on them. So I would involve them in a lot of decision making, and I would uh, put some responsibility on their shoulders, uh, demonstrating drills, leading drills, uh, helping pick out uniforms, uh, helping me set curfews, things of that nature. And I think sometimes w- the more you get your players to buy in and that they own this program, they're part of this program we're only going to be successful if they fulfill their responsibilities. I think breeding that kind of culture helped our success. And I think they didn't want to let each other down. So even if one wasn't quite as athletic as the next ball player, he developed his skills and he gave you everything he got from, from being on a scout team, to making us better to, to being a, just a special teams guy to winning a ball game there. To, to being a nickelback instead of a starting corner, that type of thing. I think I, I try to develop a spot for every guy on the team and try to make them feel important and try to make them uh, be the best they could at that and, and sell the fact that we're a team and then each one has a role. And if you play that role, the whole team's going to be successful and so are you and you're going to have a positive experience. And so uh, what uh, one of the things we did was um, – I, if we were having a pretty good day at practice in a particular section of it, I would just say, fellas, I think we're done. I think we've got what we need here. Is that all right with you if we, if we quit early or something like that? And we got in the habit of doing that. And, and believe it or not, some guys would say, Coach, I, I think we ought to spend a little more time on punt coverage. Or I think we need to talk about ball security a little bit more they would actually start to buy in and start to coach and start to identify areas in our game that, that we should spend a little more time with. Now, a lot of that stuff we already had covered, but when you have your players start to do that and they make the suggestions and they get involved, you know they've bought in. 
we would we would have goofy things uh, preseason. You know, strange as it may seem, we we had a popsicle day, and uh, when when we had our first inning scrimmage, and you know, it's it's popsicles. But uh, at their age and having fun, they they would play their heart out for the popsicles on that scrimmage day. Thursday was Apple Day. We had a lady in our kitchen would give us a box of apples, and we'd come out uh, before our walkthrough for a Friday night game, and everybody throw apple, eat their apples, and then we'd have a pitch to apple cores. Uh, we'd have a circle area there, and anybody who got them in there would give the Snickers bar. Uh, we used to do the, what we called an ape call after every practice. Uh, uh, goofy stuff like that, saying happy birthday for our kids. Uh, so anytime we could create a family atmosphere or somebody had a, a joke within a framework of good taste, uh, you know, we introduced that. I, I didn't, I was not one of these whippers. And, uh, you know, so I used to say the kids are as goofy as their coach. I, I didn't, I wanted an atmosphere where they would enjoy themselves and, and respect each other and play hard for each other uh, without creating like a gulag or, or a military atmosphere. I was in the military and, you know, sometimes people compare military with football, and there is no, there is no comparison. So yeah, I guess you can reach. But I spent two tours in Vietnam, and I don't, I've never come across anything in football that compared to that. So I don't, I don't, I don't compare those two. I, I think you can have discipline. I think you can uh, work for each other and fight for each other. And, and uh, you know, there there may be some parallels there, but. Uh, I was never one of those blood and guts guys. I, I thought it, it was a good experience. It was a sport. Uh, it was something that you could use, you can enjoy, and also uh, get some qualities from. But I, uh, you know, I always drew the line there. So I wanted it to be an enjoyable experience. I, I thought our practices sometimes are some of the shortest that I, when I compared our practice times with other schools, it was apparent that we didn't practice as long. Our practices were as intense, and we moved pretty good. But I don't think. We spent a lot of time on the field. I think our kids were always fresh. As the season went on, we spent a little more time in the swimming pool, uh, spent a little more time looking at film. We, uh, Sunday nights, we had uh, when we came in for film, everybody got a candy bar if we won. And I don't know if that induced them to win, but uh, you know, they seemed to enjoy that candy when we looked at films. Um, so we, we did little things like that to, to make it informal, uh, get together. Uh, we had a potluck. Uh, I guess you could say picnic prior to the season. Uh, each position brought, you know, D-backs to bring a casserole, linebackers bring dessert, uh, you know, the staff went on hot dogs, and we had all the families come in and a big barbecue. So I, I, I try to get people involved, get community involved, and let the folks know who we are and how we conduct business. And um, and they bought into and encouraged their kids to play, encouraged their kids stay with it and uh, stay eligible and, and uh, so those are some of the things like that sometimes it was corny but uh, you know that's the way it was it worked the kids wanted it so we did it um, um, sometimes bulletin board stuff you know I, I can't think of anything in particular right now but just kind of creating an atmosphere like that Andrew Obviously, football meant to be fun, especially at the high school age, and you obviously effective at doing that and re- uh, reaping the success of it. Um, I'd be remiss, but I'll mention uh, your kind of current role in the football world. Tenth uh, year, I believe, as an assistant at St. Norbert College, doing an outstanding job with that program. And 
Dan McCarty currently. And I know it's still very much, uh, you got your pulse on what's going on with the high school teams locally here. Because I believe it was last year, if I'm not mistaken, or yeah, last year I was up at um, Coleman for the Coleman Peshtigo game. And I believe you were up there kind of looking at kids, possibly the, the recruit for St. Norbert. I've seen you at other games, whether it's the big schools in Green Bay or the smaller schools like the Coleman and Peshtigo. Obviously, you're a big part of that program and uh, keeping tabs and all those kids. So what do you feel has changed, I guess, the most with high school football here in recent years? Obviously, the culture and society has changed with more digital stuff that kind of I think plays into some of the changes you see actually on the field but what what is your biggest change overall from now to back in the early 80s when you started off as a head coach at the high school level or just like what's to you obviously speed or things like that could be but like what to you is the biggest change uh, that you've seen in your career well I, I think kids are exposed to more football you have so much football on television now uh, collegiate and 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 uh, professional, uh, you know Thursday night games, Saturday night games, Sunday games, Monday night games for for, for professional, and then collegiate games are on Friday, Saturday. Um, the MAC conference. I don't know if they play on Tuesday or, or Thursday. What that day is, so they can see more football. They can copy and emulate and and see themselves doing those things. Talk about them. I think, uh, you know, they follow these guys on social media, uh, Twitter and Facebook, and um, they attend more games, I think, than they did in the past. So I think their awareness of football and what's good and what's bad football and copying things, I think that has an influence on them. Um, There's more camps. There's more scouting services, good or bad. Um, there's more, there's more combines. They can be tested. They can attend camps. They can start to classify themselves and compare themselves with different ball players. Um, it's, it's a little more expensive, uh, when, when parents buy a scouting service to represent their son and get him out there. Um, I think there's a little more specialization going on, but that can be good and bad. Uh, uh, right now at St. Norbert, we've always looked for multiple athletes. We think a kid with multiple skill sets and gets different types of coaching and, and uses different athletic abilities, I think in the end benefits you more than just specialization. But a lot of guys, uh, you know, their parents feel they're going to be a professional golfer or a tennis player or baseball pitcher or basketball by just participating in that sport. Um, but... Uh, I think when you look at guys that are recruited by big schools and, and guys that are professionals, they were multiple sport athletes in, in uh, high school, uh, which, uh, like I said, give them different skill sets and they've got different types of coaching and different types of competition, so that that enhanced them, who they were as an athlete. Um, on a negative side, uh, there's less um, boys out there now in the, the natural pool. There's more girls than guys at this high school level. Uh, families are smaller. You know, at one time, Andrew, you had most families average three or four kids. You had maybe two or three brothers that wrestled or played football. Um, the enrollments are down. Uh, the ratio is down. You may have a 1,000 kids at a school, but the athletic pool is getting smaller and smaller. Um, there's more uh, eight-man teams now and co-op teams than in the past. Uh, the enrollment numbers are down a little bit just based on general population. Uh, you had the concussion scares and the CTEs, and a lot of people are uh, keeping their kids out of football. So 
I, I think in that sense, the, the sport is shrinking a little, but there's been more exposure uh, with television and the social media and college and pro games now than ever before. So I think kids train a little bit better now. Most high schools all have strength and speed programs and um, the nutritional things that are out there now and, and, and uh, you know, have a good diet and, and train. And, and uh, so I think we're getting better athletes and better programs uh, to a certain extent, but uh, there's less and less of them. Um, so those are just some general observations uh, made in the last 10, 20 years. It was already beginning to change a little bit. Uh, you know, now they're playing high schools on Thursday night, you know, their first three games of the year. And that, uh, the uh, Fox Valley one, they played, uh, you know, on Thursday night. Now they flipped to Friday, I think, starting this week. Um, combines, you know, now there's uh, and more camps that they attend. So they're exposed more and they're classified more and they're compared more and they see more of it. Um, so those are just some of the things that have changed considerably since I got up. And uh, Coach, I'll let you go because I really, really appreciate the time and I could, quite frankly, talk football with you and listen to your stories uh, much longer because I enjoy uh, um, tapping into your knowledge of what you have seen through the years. But obviously, Friday night's going to be a fun evening for you. I'm getting honored at Gell's Field um, before the game, and it's a good game overall. Bayport paying a visit to Ashwabron, a rivalry game. I guess uh, still you kind of know what's going on with a lot of these teams, uh, like I said before. So like, what are you expecting game-wise uh, um, after the pregame festivities are, are kind of done? But like, what are you expecting with uh, um, Bayport coming in undefeated? Kind of their first big test of the year, and obviously at Schwab and on um, another nice young quarterback they have there coming off a nice win against the Pier. Just what are you expecting? They've played some really good games in recent years. Uh, just what are you expecting uh, between the lines on Friday night when uh, these two teams square off? I've seen Ash Wobbin play uh, a couple of times, and he struggled a little bit. They, they were in the treble game for about three quarters, and uh, you know then there was a tough one the second game, and then they, they beat the, the Pier team this third game. Uh, and Bayport's one of the best teams in the state right now. They're, I think I believe they're three and zero, and uh, they got cranked up. They're pretty good, so it'll be an interesting game. They haven't won at Ashwaubenon in the last two visits, but I think this is one of the better clubs they have. They they have uh, some pretty good talent there, and a couple of scholarship kids. And, and Coach Westman does a great job with them. Coach Jonas will have his guys ready to go, and maybe they get over the hump with this win on the pier. So I'm hoping it's going to be a pretty competitive game. Maybe a high-scoring one. Um, so uh, I don't. I'm not a Vegas guy, so I can't tell you where I'm leaning. But I, I, I'm hoping for a good ball game. I'm hoping for a good time. Uh, you know, I'm just thankful that uh, you know I'm in this position. And um, you know, but uh, as I'm there tonight, I'll, I'll say the same thing I said to you. If it wasn't for the players that I coached and the, uh, my assistants and, and the support of the administration, the community, and parents. Uh, it was a collaborative effort. I, I think we just caught lightning in a bottle there, and I was in the right place at the right time. And um, kind of knew enough not to goof it up too much, and, and kind of develop a path for it, and then have everybody buy in, and, and and let's follow the procedures. And I think we got a chance to be successful. So uh, there's a lot of thanks to go around. I, I think the days of a, one guy coming in and turning everything around and a super coach. Uh, or even putting in a career of 25 to 35 years at a place. I don't know if, if you're going to see that much anymore, Andrew. I think some guys will 
get their feet wet and nibble in it. And if uh, if they don't get immediate success, I think they're out of there. Um, but uh, you'll you'll see the programs that have been around a while been successful. Usually, there's uh, a cadre of coaches or one coach that's developed some kind of culture. The jury sends up at Edgar, Joe Labuda at Menominee, uh, Steve Jones at Kimberly. Uh, you know, you look at those programs who are successful over a period of time, and you'll see they attribute it to they develop some kind of culture of winning there and have, and have a program. But a lot of teams can be good for a year or two, then fall back and rebuild again. But those teams that are successful over a period of time, uh, there's something cooking there. They, they've got a way of doing things in order to be successful, and the community has bought into it and supported it. And, and as a result, uh, it was something like we had at Ashwaubenon when I was active there. So um, it's it's still going on, and I and I think if if you look at these programs, you can see some comparisons between them as to why they're successful. And once again, a special night. It's going to be Friday night honoring Coach Ken Golomsky. Once again, Coach, uh, thanks for taking some time, uh, especially on short notice. Really, really appreciate it and uh, just getting a chance to hear some stories and what went into the, those teams behind the scenes. And I know a number of uh, alumni wanted to thank you on Friday night, so enjoy that um, on Friday night. And once again, thanks for joining me here today. Well, Andrew, listen, keep up the good work, partner, and, and – uh... Uh, continue to cover high school sports. It's it's a great thing. I think it's a uh, it's a great growth experience for young people. And regardless of male or female, what you're participating in, uh, I think it's a great endeavor. Uh, not only for your physical health, but I think it, it it works on your mind and your discipline and your perseverance and, and handling the diversity and teamwork and things of that nature. There's a lot to be found at those activities. So I, I appreciate your coverage. And, uh, see you down the road, partner, and, and thanks for the interview. So once again, I want to thank Eshawabinon legend Ken Glomsky, Coach G, for joining me this week on the podcast. And like I said, just a wealth of knowledge uh, um, to be able to listen to. And like I told him, I could sit there and listen to him talk about um, high school sports, high school football for hours, and uh, just just would be enthralled and uh, just uh, learning so much from uh, everything that he's experienced in his career and his, his life overall. Just a lot of great points and a lot to digest there um, from an outstanding individual and all the honors um, he's received and well-deserved, um, no doubt. So once again, Friday, Bayport Ashwaubenon on the pregame festivities to celebrate um, Coach G. Ken Glomsky. So once again, I want to thank him for joining me. And uh, just a little side note as to how that interview came to be. Um, as you know, things a little bit more hectic with uh, just trying to balance everything going on with the the day job, trying to keep that commitment and also keep my plans for what I want to have scheduled for the website. Because if you haven't noticed, I'm doing my best to just spread out the coverage to the teams as much as possible. I can't get to have an item on each team each week. I'd love to have the time and the energy to, to be able to do that with all the, the great teams in the coverage area. But I'm trying to get around to it, trying to get to as many games, to see as many teams as possible um, each week. So I kind of have a game plan in that respect, but also to have these notebooks and different feature articles to do on players. So I want to be able to hit different schools and different teams a couple times a year. And I knew I, I definitely want to get 
to this week, and I want this to be in the podcast form because instead of trying to, to write an article or do anything, just just let Coach G um, do it in his own words as far as tell his stories. I think you'll enjoy that more, and it will come off uh, better in an audio format. So I knew I had that scheduled. I wanted to do it, and then Labor Day this past Monday, and things just kind of going. And the next thing I know, it's uh, Wednesday, and I'm like, I didn't reach out yet. Didn't do that initial, hey, would you like to do an interview? Yeah, I uh, went through uh, some co- coaching contacts, got a number, actually a couple numbers, and I'm like, they're very similar. So I tried them both. The first one happened to be his wife, Monica, who was very nice and, and responded to the text um, saying it wasn't a um, Coach Golomsky, but she would let him know the message. And literally less than like two minutes later, phone rings. It's Coach Golomsky. He literally just walked into the door from St. Norbert football practice and was ready to go. He's like, Andrew, whatever you need. i am got some time right now. I'm sure he's probably uh, maybe ready to sit down for dinner or eat something as soon as he got home. But instead, he was gracious enough to talk with me for over 30 minutes. So that just still tells you as much as you need to know about the man as possible, willing to give his time for anything as far as to, to help somebody else. So really, really want to say how much I appreciate that. Again, doing that just kind of on such short notice at the last minute and just kind of making it work because I was so, so thrown off guard. I had my voice recorder by me kind of handy, but I didn't have the microphone plugged in or anything like that. I didn't check the batteries in a while, and I know they were getting low, and they were kind of pretty much down to their last drop there at the end of the recording of that interview. So I was very concerned about that. And also, I didn't have any of my notes in front of me. So any of the questions uh, I ask or just kind of brought up, that's all off the top of my head, folks. As far as usually, I like to have some stuff jotted down. I don't want to have every single question verbatim or go in that order. You kind of feel out the conversation and how it's going and, and mix it up there. That's kind of what you learn through the years, or at least I feel I have, in uh, doing different types of interviews. And I just Thankfully, I, I think I remembered and didn't mess up uh, facts or number of state championships and state championship game appearances. But I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And once again, should be a fun Friday night at Gales Field, Nashwabanon, as they celebrate Coach G and the outstanding career that he has had. Uh, I'm going to discuss a little bit about that Bayport-Nashwabanon matchup in a bit. But first, I mentioned at the top of the show, um, some fun travels for week three along the lakeshore. Um, got out to the old Packerland Conference, which is now rechristened the MO. NLPC Large um, for the war on the shore Algoma at Kiwani. Obviously, you got the nice uh, first three weeks where you got the Fox River Classic Conference games on Thursday night, and then you got the whole rest of the area where I can kind of pick and choose where I want to go to, what I want to see. And Friday night, I wanted to get out to the traditional game uh, and just get out there and because the folks along the lakeshore have always been good to me, um, would not be where I am today without uh, the three schools in Kiwani County. So I, anytime I have a chance to um, see them give their uh, athletes some coverage, going to do it. And it, it's just a fun rivalry, the oldest rivalry in northeastern Wisconsin. So um, obviously the final score, Kiwani, um, a very good team this year. Now Goma, a real young team, so ended up being a lopsided game. Kiwani wins 42 to seven, but again, happy to get out there and see the folks from Algoma and Kiwani. Means a lot to me, a lot in my heart to to be able to do that. The funny thing is, though, get all work Friday, and I haven't really looked detailed at conference schedules or anything. I just had like a mapped out for the first three weeks which games I wanted to go to, regardless to try to get to as many teams for the course of the season and my plan. And so far, it's going well with that. So I didn't look at the schedule recently. Drive up to Algoma, Perry Field, which you've never 
been the Perry Field in Algoma. It's also the the baseball diamond there where they play their high school baseball games and uh, different adult men's league baseball also takes place there. It's a really cool kind of facility when you look at all these field turf fields and then you got Perry Field in Algoma from about the 35-yard line to the 15 on the west side, I believe that is. It's kind of like the second base, first base dirt. So you have the dirt on there kind of like a, um, the old Oakland Raiders uh, football stadium where the early part of the season you have the baseball kind of dirt holding through. So it's the same thing. It's kind of unique to see that at a high school um, field. I think it's pretty cool. It's unique. It's a unique home field for Algoma. It's just a nice little um, kind of area, kind of old school. And I can remember being part of that rivalry back in the day and both teams are about as good as they both ever were in the early 2000s. And a couple times that regular season game up in Perry Field, I believe it was 2001, um, overtime. And it was just a great game. And, you know, there's not much bleacher seat in that Perry Field, but the individuals that were just kind of stacked up along the, the little roped-in fence around the entire field, it went five, six people deep that were just kind of like, stepping on their tippy toes to see over other people because there's that many people from those communities to see both teams kind of basically fighting for the conference title and both teams later on would would face each other in the state quarterfinals that year just an outstanding rivalry um, games obviously I have fond memories because um, my team came out on on the positive side of things but you don't get to be a good team without having uh, somebody there to sharpen you. Iron sharpens iron, and, and for those years, uh, both schools did that. So whenever I think of Perry Field, I think about that night in particular, that overtime game, and just the, the atmosphere in there for those two communities. It was it was a great scene, and that always uh, comes back to me. But So I pull in last Friday here, most recent times, pull in, head down to Perry Field. It's about a little bit after 6 o'clock, and I think this is unusual. There should already be some cars parked up because it's all street parking for this field. Next thing you know, I look around, and I'm right next to the field, that block that it's on, and I'm like, there's no pads around the goalposts. There's not a single individual in sight around the field. I made the wrong stop. I'm in the wrong location. I had the wrong schedule. The game, the war on the shore, was actually down south, a 42 in Kiwani. So I bypassed Kiwani to go to Algoma, went to the wrong site, looked at a schedule that had it wrong, and that's where my mistake was made. But the nice thing about the war on the shore, it's just about a 10, 15 minute drive down 42. So I didn't miss kickoff one bit, but I kind of wanted to get there early and talk to some individuals and do that type of thing. But I did make a wrong turn. And after the game was over and everything, I was talking with Algoma head coach Wayne Vandervest, an Algoma alum. And uh, he knows that I'm an alum on the other side of the ledger um, from Kiwani. And I, just to kind of brighten his day because you know that the young team he had they, they fought till the end and and as far as uh, just physicality wise I always just felt Algoma just a very physical team where they're going to hit you with everything they have and I uh, just kind of to put a smile on Wade's face I said Wade I drove to Algoma because I thought the, the game was in Algoma so you got that on me tonight the stupid Kiwani guy drove to Algoma for a game that was being played in Kiwani and, and he got a chuckle out of that but again really uh, happy I got a chance and the schedule worked out to, to be able to be there for the war on the shore so those are just some of my little travel stories I don't know if you find them entertaining but just kind of things that sometimes uh, come about and this week not sure at the moment where I'll be um, like I said I have a plan of how I want to 
be able to try to get to as many schools and see as many teams as possible. And I really wish some games were kind of switched up because there's there's three games I'd really love to, to be at in particular this week. Um, the Bayport at Schwabenon one, I would love to be there. I've, I've had some, obviously, this podcast to kind of preview some stuff. So I feel like getting the coverage going that way. But I know TV-wise and all the other media, newspaper-wise, that's going to be a big game. It's going to be well covered from multiple angles. So um, I really don't want to just add more coverage when other schools, other teams could be covered as well, other games. It's kind of my goal, if you haven't noticed, with with my uh, schedule plan and and how I go about covering games. But uh, there's a couple other games. Uh, non-conference, Luxembourg-Casco at West Pier, um, really a uh, long-time rivals in the, uh, the Bay Conference for about 10 or so years here, and then recently with the conference realignment, moved into different conferences. Luxembourg-Casco last year in the playoffs, finally beaten West Pier for the first time, I think maybe first time ever in program history, but first time definitely this century since they were conference rivals in the Bay, so that was huge. And now this is a big non-conference matchup that these two schools have scheduled. Um, would love to see that matchup, but also still debating on doing uh, staying in the M-O-N-L-P-C Large Conference and uh, Southern Door paying a visit to Kiwani and the reason I'm really contemplating that one is this could be basically for the conference title. If Southern Door beats Kiwani, they're coming off that huge 34-33 overtime win over a very good Oconto team. I really don't see anybody else beating Southern Door if they get past Kiwani. So I think it's Southern Door's conference title if they beat Kiwani Friday night. If Kiwani can pull off the win then it kind of opens up the door that you could have a um, co-conference champions. It opens up the door for Oconto to get back in the conference title race. So it kind of has those huge conference implications. So it's a debate between the non-conference game versus a huge conference game. And another reason I really want to get out there is I didn't get a chance to see Southern Door in person for the preseason. Didn't get to make the trip. The schedule didn't work out to make the preseason trip to Brussels. So I feel in my heart I, I really need to see them in person. And that's where I'm kind of leaning towards at this point who knows plans could change but uh that, that's what i'm kind of thinking i also want to see the outstanding junior running back of southern doors Derek LeCaptain, having an outstanding um year i don't care what size school you are from i mean he's one of the best players in the green bay area in my opinion and i haven't got a chance to really see him in person since his freshman year when i actually thought he was a senior when he was running all over kiwani so that's kind of my thought process about uh where i'm thinking about going and why because I know the rest of the regular season probably not going to see a Southern Door game the rest of the year so that's why I'm really leaning towards this game so if you're wondering Andrew why did you pick this school why did you pick that one trust me I have a plan so I'm kind of looking at games and I'm looking at features I can do during the week like this past week had some great features including Green Bay Southwest an outstanding senior deciding to go out for tackle football for the first time in his life um, Bryce Zacharias and he finds himself as a starting right tackle for the 3-0 Green Bay Southwest football team if you haven't checked it out check it out on prepsagenda.com I think a really refreshing story considering how you hear about uh just so many teams are down with numbers and struggling with numbers for a variety of reasons. It uh, doesn't matter if you're from a big school or a small school. A big school like Southwest is not seeing the numbers they would like to get out. So it's nice to see an uh, individual like that just decide to come out and help out his classmates and having success in doing so both individually 
and as a team. So them are some of the great features that I'm really trying to do and what I'm trying to bring with, with my website. Because I know I can't do it all. I wish wish I could uh, have the time and energy to, to cover um, all sports, but uh, just taking it one step at a time and, and uh, hoping to build from there. Like I, like I also had the post and column this past week, I uh, just reflected on the first month of uh, this venture. So those are my rambling thoughts for the week. I don't know if you enjoy them, but if you're still listening at this point, I know you're a hardcore listener and you really want to um, hear what's going on with, with me and those types of things. But that's kind of my rambles. And I'll close out today's show by looking at some of these week four games. Of course, I mentioned Bayport as Schwab and I'm Bayport undefeated on the season but really interested because really the first big test because their three wins have come against three winless teams in the Fox River Classic Conference so this is the first big test for them it's a rivalry game you never know in recent years this one could be a high scoring affair or maybe the defenses take over but I think it's going to be an interesting matchup and Ashrobanon really kind of a playoff scenario last week a must win for them kind of at the pier because had they lost last week against the pier you're 0-3, and you almost have to win out to continue that playoff streak to 20 straight years. So that should be a good matchup. The rest of the FRCC action, the pier at Green Bay Preble, Green Bay Southwest is at Manitowoc, and Green Bay Notre Dame at Pulaski. That Notre Dame-Pulaski matchup should be a good one. I think Pulaski has a good chance of knocking off Notre Dame from um, the three unbeatens in the conference of Bayport, Southwest, and Notre Dame. So that should be a good one overall. Some Bay Conference matchups, New London at Green Bay East, Appleton Xavier at Seymour, and like I said, you got Luxembourg-Casco at West Pier in a big non-conference matchup. Two Division three teams kind of jockeying for, I guess, playoff position down the road when you have those playoff meetings because obviously I think both teams uh, will probably be seeing each other again down the road in the postseason. And other NEC games, Fox Valley Lutheran, that's a really good uh, ball club. They'll be paying a, paying a visit to Denmark and Clintonville at Wrightstown. Wrightstown 3-0, big non-conference win last week over Seymour. And then in the MONLPC Large Conference. I mentioned the Southern Door at Kiwani game and the stipulations there as far as uh, how big of a that is for an early season conference game. Also, the battle for County B in that conference is taking place this week. Peshtigo at Coleman. That should be a good one for uh, both of those programs. Non-conference from, the, from this conference, Sturgeon Bay going all the way to Norway. Just Norway, Michigan, Surgeon Bay, and Norway, Michigan. Surgeon Bay, uh, a tough matchup last week, a uh, two point loss to Peshtigo. So that's a team um, looking to improve in that conference. And also, Algoma at Ocanto. And once again, I, I can't say how impressed I am with uh, Ocanto this year. Um, taking Southern Door to the limit in overtime. That's a team that's um, going to do some good things, I think, for the remainder of the year. And really happy to see Brian Swarhidi uh, doing the job he is. So just looking over at some of the matchups for this week. Um, should be in there. Great week of football as we're already kind of approaching that midway point after this week. So it's amazing always how fast it goes by. But I want to thank you once again for joining me here on the podcast. Really, really appreciate it. And thanks for uh, clicking and sharing on social media, prepsagenda.com, all the articles and things I'm trying to do there. Once again, just trying to do my part and, and see where it'll take me overall and having fun doing so. Again, a chance like today, getting to talk to a legend like Ash Schwabanon Hall of Famer, Ken Golomsky, Coach G, and once again, uh, um, honoring him this Friday at the game at Ashwabanon Gell's Field. Should be a fun time there for Bayport at Ashwabanon. So that was really uh, fun to get a chance to talk to Coach G and really appreciate that 
once again. And once again, the Twitter, you know where it's at, at Andrew Picaric, prepsagenda.com. Make sure to follow the Facebook page. Please, please follow the, the Facebook page. That's where you know when I'm having stories posted. The easiest way to, to find out is just to check it out on Facebook. We'll have some posts there as well. So thank you once again for joining me this week. And if you have story ideas, message me them. Always looking for those great stories about the unheralded individuals and some of the great things that they're doing for their teams or their communities. So please feel free to reach out. I'm not going to guarantee I get to everything, but chances are uh, I'll definitely look into it. So once again, I want to thank Ken Glomsky for joining me on the podcast. And once again, enjoy week four, wherever that may take you. But for now, I'm out.